great morning. Uh, just just uh, experiencing the Lord in my personal time this morning and uh, with, with the worship team before, prior to the message or to the service. And, and then uh, just now in worship, just the Lord giving a consistent, uh, consistent word for us today. And I, I don't know what, uh, what else there is in store, but I, I, I want to go ahead and give you a forewarning of things to come. And I really feel like that probably sometime in June, maybe, it's going to be a busy summer, so I don't know when, but for those of you that are students that are with us uh, that may be going for the summer, just to keep your eyes open, uh, I, I just feel, I feel uh, a, a family meeting building, uh, time for us to just sit and talk about some things, about where we are in relation to what we've been, what we've been studying in the book of Acts, and this idea of becoming a community that God blesses, that has been given to us by God for this time. Uh, it's, it is purposeful. There's, there's, uh, it's God's purpose is behind it, and it's timely. This is the time that we need to understand this message and move into whatever it is that God has for us that's tied to this message. And so I think probably six months in, is, you know, the Lord's just building this thing in, in my heart right now, this passion for us to, to have a talk about what we've been talking about to just have open conversation. So we'll dedicate a Sunday morning, and I'll, uh, we'll put that out for everybody to, to know so you can plan around it as much as possible. If you, you know, we'll try, to, try not to hit any major vacation times or uh, whatever, but we're going to hit some of that. So uh, if you can't be here for that Sunday, whenever that is, I'm saying a lot about it like it's already scheduled, but uh, then uh, just know that it's coming. Uh, if you can't be here, then, then please uh, grab the... Uh, the podcast and, and pay attention to what the Lord is saying and doing in that. Uh, a consistent message today that the Lord is speaking that really ties into what we're talking about in today's topic uh, in the book of Acts is this idea of, uh, that we just sang about. Um, I will build my life upon your love. Um, it's a firm foundation. This morning we, we read in 1 John, in the Moravian readings this morning was in 1 John. One of them was in 1 John chapter 5. And I never caught this before. I know I've, I've read all through 1 John because when I wrote The Abiding Cycle, it was all about John and 1 John. And I was, but I had those glasses on. But in 1 John chapter 5, he says uh, that this is how you will know that you love the brothers. This is how you're going to know whether or not you love people if you obey his commandments. If you love God and obey his commandments. All right? That seems backwards, doesn't it? Does everybody kind of see the flow of that? This is how you're going to know that you love the brothers. Well, you would expect them to say, if you really try hard or if you really go and do things for them, then you'll know that you love the brothers. Or if you, you, know, if you are kind if you're gentle and patient, this is how you'll know that you love the brothers. In this case, John is saying, you want to know how you can know that you love the brothers? If you love God and obey his commandments, which is abiding in Christ. If you abide in Christ, then you can know that you love the brothers. Now, I've just, I've been, that's been blowing my brain up this morning. But the truth of it is something we already know. That if we're really going to love with God's kind of love, a selfless love that 
that, uh, that meets the needs of people around us, but also draws them in to a relationship with God, then it's going to be when we are obeying God and, and knowing Him, and the fruit of that is going to be love. He says, if you abide in me, then you'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So this fruit of love for other people, the right kind of community that we're talking about, the only way to do community right is to let the love, our love for God be the firm foundation. And then we can go to those around us, right? I'll build my, my, my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. And, and then we can go out to those around us. And so our meeting is going to be about loving God. We just need to have a meeting about loving God. We really do, church. We, you know, we've been talking and talking and talking about it. I've, I felt so convicted this morning personally, not for you, for me, that we're not, we, we can't even put ourselves. I, could, I was trying this morning during worship to put myself in the place of the, of the people in the book of Acts who had just been saved and just desperately trying to, to draw out of, you know, put myself in that situation to draw out of it the emotion that they were feeling and the excitement and the passion that they had for all that they were doing and this, this pure receptivity to, uh, to the, the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance in their life and this, this un- unhindered uh, ability of God to be able to speak whatever he wanted to by his spirit into their life and they were ready to do it with passion and drive and, and taking everything else in their life and putting it on the back burner or maybe putting it off the burner. It seems like there's nothing else that matters at this point for these people. They're just totally, purely driven by their relationship with with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Y'all feeling that? Probably not. Okay, I I get it because this is my day, okay? So, but man, I want us to get that. I want us to feel that passion and drive. I can't preach that into existence. I have convinced myself of that this morning. This is not something I can preach into your life. It is totally built on your own personal walk with God. But this is the only message that we have at the gathering place. We have no other message. We have no other method. I can't, I can't, if I talk you into doing something that looks like this, then we've missed the point, which you'll see today. If I talk you into acting like you are this person, like acting like you have fruit in your life, it's, it's like going to Walmart and getting some duct tape and taping plastic fruit and saying, see, I got some. And people, people do, do not eat that stuff. They don't like it, right, other than Ari, right? People don't eat plastic. Real uh, grown people don't eat plastic fruit. It doesn't taste good. That doesn't attract people that are hungry. And when are we going to get that? Man, we need that in our souls right now. It needs to be in the deep in our hearts and souls like it was for these people. So I hope today as I preach that you'll draw some of that in. We have a wedding today. I'm going to try and preach this message, get us out of here, and get over to Mary, Chris, and Soul. It's going to be a great day for them. But, but would, you, would you plug in with me for just a few minutes, plug your heart in, and really try and grab this? If so, say I will. Okay, let's work together. Acts chapter 4, we're in verse 32. That's where we left off last week. Now, let me just give you a forewarning of where we're going on this. Okay, today's message I've entitled um, Grace. 
Great grace, okay? In the passage it says, I, I, I toyed with this until just a minute ago when I put the slides together. Great grace upon us all. Great grace upon us all. This story in the book of Acts that we're experiencing is a story of the grace of God completing its work in Christ and the Holy Spirit coming. This is the completion of the new covenant. It's now in place. The church is, is walking in it. This is the great grace of God that's upon the whole uh, body of believers. Anybody that would, that would pray uh, a prayer, anybody that would be cut to the heart, anybody that would hear the message and be cut to the heart, pray a prayer of repentance, it would experience, has experienced this great grace, and they understand it. But the grace is what it's all about. So I want us to see the grace today as we walk through this passage. But we're going to end up reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which I, I uh, grappled over this week, studied hard, went a hundred different directions. But God settled me on this idea of God's great grace, even in the story of a man and woman who didn't give, who lied to the Holy Spirit and were killed. And in, in in, this is going to be the first time that God kills anybody in the New Testament. But it happens. And so we're going to put that in the grace of God. This is the grace of God for a body of believers who are walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. It is a move of the grace of God, not of, of God's anger. It's not of God's... Uh, it's not to cause fear to be in the hearts of people. It was a, an act of grace on the part of God. All right, so be ready for that. Here we go. Let's start in verse 32. Now, though, now the full number, we already read this, but just to remember, all the people that had received Christ, the 3,000, the 5,000, now, and the ones that had been saved daily, that God was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved, all these people are referenced in this verse. It says the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. All right, so first of all, just remember, they all became a part of the community. This is real community. This is, this is the kind of community that starts with the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction, bringing, bring a person under the preaching of the word, bringing the word through an unlikely a person, cutting hearts, convicting souls, and bringing them to that point of decision. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is legitimate community. And, and we know that because when they have this encounter with God, everybody has the same response. They're all joining community. So just to remind us again that there's not a time when people are brought to God through salvation and, and the redemption of Christ that they're not brought into community, that they don't feel a connection. If they don't, then they haven't... They, that's not... That's probably evidence that it wasn't a commitment to Christ, but it was a commitment to a church or an idea or a philosophy or a theology or some doctrines or some programs. When we commit our life to Christ, then the rest of it falls into place, and there's this passion 
about being a part of the community. So they were there. But I like this also. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I want us to talk about in a few weeks, this idea that it says that, that they were like-minded, that, that they had their heart and soul were the same. It says they were of one heart and soul. Literally, that the, the, the inner drive and motivation for everything that they were doing was the same. Y'all with me? We need to hear that, okay, that word this morning. The inner drive for all that they were doing was the same. Motivation matters to God. And we talk about it all the time, but I had to preach that that to myself all the time because here's here's what my habit was for all of my ministry prior to the gathering place. My motiv- I, it was my job to motivate you to act right. It's my job. And if you're motivated by my disappointment in you or by my uh, persuasion, if I, I happen to use the right words and guilt you into doing something, motivation matters. That is not what God is looking for. There's an easy yoke that Jesus wants us to, to put on. He wants us to yoke together with him, which for us means that we are walking in concert Yoked together with the Holy Spirit who is guiding us and leading us. And you don't need me to motivate you to do something. If you do, if you're still waiting on me to motivate you, then give up on that. Because even if I do motivate you by the way that I put some words out or by the way that I frown when you say that you're not going to be at a life group or you're going to miss church for something or whatever it might, because I still struggle with that problem. Thank you for letting me be your pastor anyway, right? But we're working, we're working together to get out of that. I don't want you motivated by my disappointment or by my frowny face. Or, you know, we need to be motivated by the right thing. And the right thing is only one thing. There's only one, one motivation, and it's that it's Christ and the grace of God that's been given to us. We, we need to, to dwell on that, to get that, to, to let that get into our spirits so that we're all of one heart and soul, that our inner motivation is the same. It's unique at the gathering place. Do y'all know that the grace of God is one of the six, the grace of God as our motivation is one of the six distinctives of this church? We are not playing around when it comes to our motivation. At the gathering place, we only have six distinctives, and one of them is our motivation, which is the grace and character of God. We don't want to be motivated by anything else. And, and, and help me with that because I know my tendency is to try to push you to, 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 to look like a Christian rather than to lead you into a deeper walk with God that motivates you from the inside. This is, our, this is who we are at the gathering place. Y'all with me? We need to, please hold me accountable for that. I need to hold you accountable for that. Our motivation needs to be right. They were all like-minded. Their souls... And hearts were the same. So the Holy Spirit's moving in this community of believers. The great grace of God is being, being demonstrated and is upon them all. The whole community is experiencing the grace of God, and the grace of God is their motivation. It brings them together in like-mindedness, and it also allows them to reach out and touch the world around them and bless people. So I just want to break that down for a minute, okay, before we move on. He talks about some of this in, the, in verses 32 uh, through the passage we just read through 35. So let me just talk about how this distinctive of the Gathering Place Church, this distinctive of being motivated by the grace of God, being like-minded in that as being our motivation, our only reason for, for doing what we do 
in our relationship with God and, in, and with others is just, just seeing in this picture how grace changed everything. I love the songs that we sang this morning about grace. Uh, it wasn't planned by me, anyway. I did, we didn't get together and say, hey, it's going to be heavy grace. I did, like I said, I just titled the message this morning. So just trying to focus on what is it all saying, you know, being true to the text. But this is what it's saying. It's about the grace of God. That's just confirmation. We need to see that. Grace changes everything in the book of Acts, in this new church. Their understanding of the grace of God changes everything. And just so we'll know what grace is, okay, grace is getting what you don't, getting something uh, that you don't deserve. Okay, mercy is not getting something that you do deserve, right? Like we deserve death, we get mercy, all right? We deserve death, we get life, that's grace. In, in response to Jesus being hung on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. That's grace. That's That's Jesus giving forgiveness to the ones that hung him on the cross. Not only are they not getting what they don't deserve, they're getting something that they could never earn. And so what are those things that that this church is experiencing? Look at it. First of all, those who had denied and abandoned Jesus, the ones that had denied and abandoned him at his crucifixion when he was arrested in the garden, the ones that ran away, scattered, disappeared, and the only one that followed into the courtyard is Peter, who denies Jesus three times, is experiencing the power of God as they give testimony. That's the grace of God. That's the great grace of God that, that, those of, that all of us have, have denied him, we've run from him, we've abandoned him, we, we, turn, we, we won't speak out whenever we have opportunities to speak. And, and yet God comes at Pentecost in this community, in this biblical community who understands who they are in Christ. Now they are speaking boldly. That's the great grace of God falling on this community. And we're, we have experienced him in that way. Those who, were, who crucified him were offered the free gift of eternal life. That's the great grace of God that this, that this group is experiencing. Wonder why they're motivated? They knew. Peter preached it in his first sermon, and he preached it again uh, to the Jews uh, that, where the 5,000 were saved, and he preached it to the religious leaders. The only sermons we've heard or testimonies that we've heard Peter preach, he said the same thing over and over again. You crucified Jesus, the one that God gave, his son, his, the Messiah. You, you crucified him, and yet he is offering you eternal life. Y'all getting that? Man, that should motivate us. What a message we have for the community around us, right? We need to be motivated. We need to, I mean, that needs to get in our hearts. I, hope, I pray that God will put it there, that we'll see that. Man, what a, what a paradox. We're not getting what we deserve. We're getting the opposite. We, we're the ones that crucified him. While we were sinners, he died for us. Also, those who spent centuries avoiding any kind of personal connection face-to-face connection with God. The Israelite people who refused to go to the mountain. No, you go, Moses, you go see God. And then you come back and talk to us. We don't even like seeing your face after you've been with God. Matter of fact, veil your face. It's too much of a glow when you go see God. You go see God. They have avoided any kind of personal connection with God. Now they are receiving 
living faith and intimacy with God. They are enjoying a living faith, a face-to-face encounter with God. They can go directly into the throne room and find grace and help in the time of need. They're like the song we talked sang last week. They're, it's like leaning back against him and feeling the breath of God, feeling his chest swell open. They are personal, intimate, and such a, so, he is so real to them that everything is changing in their life. Church, I, I want that so badly for us. I, I just don't know how, how else to say it, I don't, and I don't know how else to, for me, I don't know how many times I'm going to read it and how many times God's going to say the same thing over and over to me and to you and we're not going to see him as personal and and be excited about the fact that we get to walk with God through life, that he wants to speak into moments of our life, that his word is going to, he wants to speak to us. And if we just read a little bit, he has something to say. If we'll just pay attention moment by moment throughout our day, that that's going to make our life, we're going to see the personal touch of God. That's great grace that God would come to us, a group, a group of mostly Baptist people who have spent all of our lives in our heads trying to understand more theology and doctrine and, and, and studying the Word but never applying any of it, that God would still come to us. And the great grace of God is He comes to us and He says, I still want to be personal with you if you'll let me. These people got it, and their lives were transformed as a result of it. The great grace of God, they were experiencing it. Also, a people who were dispersed to all corners of the world and had nothing in common, literally. God saw to it that these people would not be like at, at the Tower of Babel. He's constantly dispersing people when they try to gather enough, uh, enough of their own ideas and thoughts, and they get together and they start to make something for themselves. God has to break them up and send them off in opposite directions. Because he's going to be their God. They, he wants to be the one that they are intimate with. He wants to be the one that they encounter. He wants to show them what he can do. He doesn't want them to gather up and figure out what they can do together. So he disperses them. He's constantly dispersing Israel. And so at this point, we have people from every nation, all Jews, coming together to Jerusalem at Pentecost. And they, don't, they can't even understand each other because they don't speak the same language. And they're all Jews. And yet God comes in the middle of them, and he draws them together where they can understand each other, where they can understand the gospel. And when they repent and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, now all of a sudden, they are willing to sell their possessions for each other. This dispersed group of people from all over the place who don't even know each other are now at the point where they're meeting together every day, committing themselves to apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and breaking of bread, and, they're, and they're, they're selling their possessions and giving to each other. They don't even have any possessions that they consider their own. They're taking all that stuff and they're laying it at the apostles' feet, trusting these, these apostles to take care of of their stuff, to disperse it as the Holy Spirit would have them do it. That's the great grace of God. A people dispersed and who had nothing in common are now together. They're in one place and they're sharing life together and they're giving their possessions to each other. And this is a dynamic, spirit-filled community who understands the grace of God in a way that we need to. We need to. I, I just encourage each one of you uh, on your own 
you know, I, you know the grace of God. You know it. We preach it all the time. The grace of God is what we're about here. It is our motivation. But you need to spend some time on your own enjoying the grace of God, experiencing the grace of God, understanding the grace of God, applying the grace of God to your daily life so that we can begin to, to see that fleshed out, what that's going to look like for our community. And as we're going to see today, this people had also been a poor, needy, and stingy people. And now they're receiving blessings. Boundless provision is being given to them because of the great grace of God. And they're also receiving a motivation to give fearlessly to the cause of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit moving and working in in response to the great grace of God. I love this, I love that, this passage, this little section, and I will just encourage us to embrace this great grace of God. Now, as I said, we're going to go to chapter 5. I want to read verses 1 through 11. Uh, Well, let me start with chapter 4 first. Let me give you a good example, then we'll give the bad example. Let's go to chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Here is one example of one person and what he was giving, but a great example. And I I think with purpose, God puts these two passages side by side in Luke's account here in the book of Acts. Verse 36 says, Thus Joseph, thus being tied to people giving their possessions and sharing everything, not having anything that was their own, selling property and houses. So Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, so here's, here's a good example. Here's a great example, actually. There's a reason I believe that Luke is, is using the story of Barnabas. First of all, Barnabas' name means encouragement. And we see Barnabas throughout Paul's ministry being such a great encouragement to everyone, but definitely to Paul in his missionary journeys. And and we we find Paul and Barnabas together. This is that Barnabas. But Barnabas was also a Levite, which meant that he had no possessions other than what was given to him. You know, the Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel, and they they didn't do anything else. Their families were supported by who? Who? Everyone else, who, who are the everyone else's? The Jewish people, all right, through the synagogue. They, people brought money and gave their tithes and offerings, and a portion of those tithes and offerings and a portion of their sacrifices and the, the food, the, the sacrifices they brought the, the, that ended up being food for the Levites, for the tribe of Levi. So he's, he's of the tribe of Levi. I don't think it's by accident that Luke wants to add that little parenthetical statement. A little descriptor, because here's a man who somehow got one piece of property. It, it was given to him. He didn't earn it because he doesn't work. He got, he got this piece of property. And he willingly goes and sells his only piece of property. All right? So that's big enough right there. This is like the widow's might. He takes his piece of property and he sells it and he brings it and puts it at the apostles' feet. So number one. Probably his only piece of property. Number two, guess what he just did in regard to his income? When he brought his 
property, or the, the proceeds from his property to the feet of the apostles. Guess what just happened to his steady job, his steady income from the temple? It just disappeared. They're not about to support him while he takes his property, sells it, and he's throwing in with Jesus and his disciples. They're, they're trying to kill any of the disciples. They're, they're still, they just arrested Peter and John in the previous verse. They're not for these guys. And so he's throwing it all in. He's saying, man, I, I'm in. I'm all in at the apostles' feet. And he throws them to the, at the apostles' feet. Okay, so where had he been previous to this? He had been one of the ones in leadership and authority over whatever was given in the temple. He was a recipient and yet had authority also to spend um, that, however they, the, the uh, priests of the line decided to spend it, and the religious leaders. And he lays them at the apostles' feet. He doesn't even know the apostles yet. Why would he do that? Only one reason, church, the Holy Spirit. One more crazy thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of a new believer, of a man who just became a believer. He hasn't been one long, but the Holy Spirit has absolute control, and the great grace of God is being manifested in his life in, the, in this way. That even though he's been in opposition to God, and even though he was saving his property for himself, and even though uh, he was taking his income uh, from the people, uh, from the Jewish people, God takes him and he takes everything and, and lays it at the apostles' feet with total confidence that God was going to take care of him. It's a beautiful example for us. That's so significant that we get that. That, that this is a this is a a big example of what all of these people were doing. But what a great example that he was willing to leave all the comforts and the all of the surety of what he had before to, to lay everything. When he laid them at the apostles' feet, he was not laying them in the apostles' hands. He laid them at the apostles' feet knowing that he was laying them in the hands of God. He was confident that the people that he was, put, that he, the, he was putting at the feet of some men who were going to walk wholeheartedly, completely, totally with God. He'd already seen them risk everything, standing before religious rulers and preaching uh, the truth about who Jesus was and telling the religious leaders that this same Jesus who you crucified, God's made him Christ. Now what you going to do? They know these guys are risking everything. And so these apostles were the first elders of the church. They were the ones that, that give, gave such an evidence of the of the Holy Spirit's leadership in their lives and their, their willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit against all odds, that they would do that and the people trusted them so they laid things at their feet. It wasn't random. It wasn't because the apostles had a lot of money. It wasn't because they built the building. It wasn't because their family heritage was. There was a lot of other. Their grandpa, great-grandpa were in the church. It had nothing to do with anything other than one thing. They had already shown evidence that they had risked all to walk with God. I love our elders of this church. We see evidence of that. That's why you guys have put them in place, and that's why we don't have problems. When you put your money down in this, in this bucket or when you give your time to this body, when you make a commitment to this body, you know that you're making a commitment to men who are at least pursuing the Holy Spirit with all that we got.
We're not good at it, but we're, we're after it, right? And God's great grace is on us here in that way. But let me tell you, church, again, Satan is not going to rest when a body of believers begins to work and move like this. And so here he goes. Here comes Satan. He shows up in chapter 5. We, we, we're trying to come back every time that Satan shows his head. But anytime there's a great move of God, we're only four chapters in the book of Acts. Every time God does something great, Satan shows up and tries to bring confusion. Satan shows up and tries to, put, uh, to kill it. And in this case, it, it causes a fatal blow to Ananias and Sapphira. Look at it. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Starting good, right? They sold it. And with his wife's uh, knowledge, he kept back part for himself, uh, some of the proceeds that were brought and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Doesn't sound unreasonable. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? It was yours as long as you had it. After it was sold, was it not at uh, at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell, tell me what you've sold the land for, so, uh, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So let me just just share some things about this. First of all, when I read this passage, knowing it was coming this week, I thought, man. I asked Will to pray for me. I asked Russ to pray for me. I asked a couple other people just, you know, man, pray. I don't, you know, man, how is this going to end up being positive? You know, I just want a good, positive word, and I want to be true to the text. How's it going to be positive? Man, it's so good. It's so good. Y'all ready for it? All right, dig in. Because some of you, like me, you thought they were killed because they were, there was an obligation that everyone in the community had to sell everything. No, it's not the case. It says clearly, when you had it, it was yours, wasn't it? Even after you sold it, the proceeds were yours, weren't they? Why did you lie to God? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? So it's not about whether they had an obligation to sell everything. They didn't. It wasn't because their sin was worse than others. I promise you, everybody's still got sin in their lives, right? We're going to see plenty of sin as the book of Acts continues to move forward. There's sin in the lives of, these, of this community of believers. They didn't have to be perfect. There were sins of all kinds that were still in the rank. So why would God be so severe in his judgment in this case, I think it's because of the hypocrisy that they were demonstrating. 
that they were trying to bring into this new Holy Spirit-fed and led church. I think it's that they were trying to come in and say one thing and pretend to be something, put something out there that made them look spiritual, but they didn't, but it wasn't real. It didn't come from the inside. It wasn't in their hearts. Wouldn't it be consistent with Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, by the way, right? Wouldn't it be consistent that the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus, would do the same kinds of things and say the same kind of things and emphasize the same kind of things that Jesus did in the flesh when he said to the Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees, hypocrites, in multiple different ways he described what that meant. But one way was on the outside, you look like, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. I mean, the, woe, the, the woes to the Pharisees were all about this hypocritical lifestyle of saying one thing and doing another. And Jesus opposed them to the day of his death. He opposed them. And we studied, we spent the whole year last year looking at Jesus' encounters with people, and he never had one good, positive encounter with religious leaders. So here he is again. He's got somebody coming in, trying to pretend. There's a lot of difference between what we see in Barnabas and what we see in Ananias and Sapphira. What happened was Barnabas, I mean, I mean uh, Ananias and Sapphira saw what happened with Barnabas. They saw it. They saw the notoriety. He lays it at their feet. He's being applauded. Apparently, Luke is applauding him for, for the gift that he gave and the sacrifice that he made. And so they're coming in to try and appear as if they're giving a, a sacrifice as well. But what's different about that? Well, first of all, Ananias and Sapphira had money. Sapphira means, the, the, her name means beautiful. And it appears almost exclusively in Scripture uh, among wealthy Jewish families. One commentary I read said that there were nine tombstones with the name Sapphira on it in, in Jerusalem, and all of them were wealthy families. And there was one other that they found in another far, uh, faraway place that, had, that was from a wealthy family. Okay, so the, this is wealth. This is not the same as Barnabas, who's sacrificing anything. Hey, let's go sell that piece of property. And by the way, another commentary talks about the fact that probably what happened was this piece of property was one that they owned in a faraway place that they went and sold and brought the money in. Because anything that they would have sold in Jerusalem would have been recorded and they would have known what they sold the property for. So that they probably went way off and sold that little far off piece of property that we never go to. You know, we talked about building a camp on. We sold it and... Uh, you know, and, and then they brought the proceeds and acted like we're, we are doing something spiritual. They weren't like Barnabas. Barnabas gave everything he had. Barnabas also was prompted by the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira, according to the testimony of Luke. And, and Peter's uh, words to them when they came and brought the sacrifice was that they had listened to Satan, not to the Holy Spirit. Their ears were, were being filled with the words of Satan, and they were being led by and were following the leadership of Satan himself. They're not the same as Barnabas, yet they're trying to present themselves as one of this community of believers who is sacrificing and giving and following the Holy Spirit. They're not following the Holy Spirit. They're following Satan. God would not allow it. Barnabas also gave out a love for God 
and for God's people. He gave out a love for God and love for God's people. What were they giving out of? They're coming and offering their, their little penance, and they're giving it out of love for themselves. They're giving it out of love for the attention that they would gain by bringing this offering and laying it at the apostles' feet. They, they were coming and giving something to, in order to draw more attention to themselves and in order to gain some notoriety. And we've been there so many times when we preach through what Jesus was condemning the Pharisees and religious rules and teachers of the law for doing was that they were always lifting, making a name for themselves. And, and we know that we're guilty of that also in this, in this day, in, in our churches, of, of lifting ourselves up and making a name for ourselves and, because, and trying to impress people with, with our buildings and with our, our styles of worship and our whatever other things that we justify to, to bring a name for ourselves, up, you know, bring up a name for ourselves. And so that's, that's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They weren't giving out of love for God and love for God's people. Barnabas also gave out of faith. When he laid it at their feet, he, he was literally putting his faith, as I said earlier, he was putting his faith in God to, prov- to provide for him. Ananias and Sapphira were laying this little penance, this little piece of Spare property that they had, that they'd sold, they're laying that before the apostles' feet with plenty more. They didn't even give the whole amount for this little piece of property that they had. They gave a portion of it and kept the rest of it. So they gave out of their plenty. So the main realization, though, for us, I think, is this. As we hold true to this idea of the great grace of God, how is the grace of God that he would would bring, to, bring uh, the end of life to Ananias and Sapphira as they brought a gift into the church, the community of believers. Because God is protecting his church. God's protecting his church. It, this is, one thing that happened when Jesus was on the earth is he didn't kill all the Pharisees and religious rulers and Sadducees and teachers of the law and all of that. Because they weren't in his church. His church was the church of believers. And now that church is complete. The covenant's completed. The Holy Spirit has come and living in this body. And they're walking and moving. And, and God will not allow people to come into, the, into his church pretending and bringing deception into that body. And making people think it's okay for you to just act like everything's all right, even though this doesn't come from the inside. That's the grace of God. He is protecting his church. And I thank God that he is, he's done the same thing as I've been evaluating that this past week. That God has protected us as a body. There are lots of people that come in with their piece of property, a portion of their property to lay in this church and in this body, and they don't stay. I think it's because God protects us. He's not killing anybody, but I think he sends them right back out the door. If, if you're not like-minded, if you're not one in heart and body with this church, then I, I, we don't want you here. Because God doesn't want you here. There's no reason for us to pretend like we need a bunch of people to fill seats in this building. 
That is not our goal at all. Our goal is to walk with God, to be a community of believers who are living like the biblical community to live with one another and then influence the people outside of that community in such a way that they want it in. The last thing we want is for people to come in here and bring, bring their, their tainted offering and try to give it and, and, and have influence and draw uh, something for themselves out of this body. And I believe it's the last thing the Lord wants. I feel good about that statement. I feel great about, uh, I feel more love for God because his grace includes protecting our body. Don't you? Does that make sense? And I know that's not at all where I'm tempted to go this week with this passage. But it's so clear when you look at what happens on the heels of Barnabas's gift that, that really what's happening is Ananias and Sapphira thinking, oh, you know, the Pharisees have always played this game of trying to do their alms in public and be known for what they do and make sure everybody sees the sacrifices that they make. And, and so we'll just do that. And all these, you know, because they're getting, this, this movement is getting big. The religious leaders didn't even want to put down or uh, arrest. Uh, they couldn't keep Peter and John in jail because for fear of all the people that were turning to God and following this movement. And so Ananias and Sapphira said, yeah, we'll join in on that. Sounds like it'd be good for us. No, no, you won't. The great grace of God protects his body. The great grace of God's going to protect us as, as we commit ourselves to walking in the Holy Spirit. The great grace of God is going to protect us as we, as we become more and more determined personally, not, not on Sunday, not when I preach it, not, when you, not in the few seconds or moments when you think you're going to make some commitment, not in our minds, but in our lives when we start committing ourselves to walking in the Holy Spirit, to letting him guide us. He's going to build a community that blesses. And I'm, I'm excited about that day. And I hope you are too. I hope today will inspire you to, to consider the grace of God and let the grace of God move you in your hearts to be one with us. One in, not just in, in idea, but one in heart, in the inner being, in your motivation. Let that motivate you to, to work with us, to know the will of God and to obey him. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great grace. We have experienced your grace. We know your grace. It's changed us. It's changed everything. And Father, we understand it better as we look at this community, this pure community who was totally submitted to you. Father, I thank you that that you have the same experience waiting for us. And God, I just pray that today we'll move one step closer to the realization of the great grace that's upon us all and that our whole community would experience the grace of God in a way that changes us. Lord, you've called this to be one of the distinctives of the gathering place, that it would be our motivation for all that we do. And yet, Father, we are today have to even question whether we are here because of the great grace of God. And so, Father, work in us. We need that. We are flawed. God, we are not doing a good job <laughs> because we, we haven't understood your grace enough. So we need you, God, to, to overwhelm us with the truth of your grace. 
Thank you for all that you do in this body. Thank you that that even though we denied you and abandoned abandoned you, that you gave us you give us power, Lord, undeserved power to speak your word. Even though we're the ones that Lord, we're sinning against you, and so in a very real way, we're the ones who crucified you, and yet you've given us life as a free gift. Even though we're the ones, Lord, who have avoided the face of God all of our lives, and even 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 now that we know you and we know we we need to be in your face. Lord, we, you still give us intimacy. Father, though we've, we've been dispersed in all kinds of denominations and churches and we have varied backgrounds and we had nothing in common now, God, you have put together a dynamic, spirit-filled community. Father, though we were poor and needy, without hope, God, weary from anxiety and worry, Lord, you have poured out your blessing in a boundless way and motivated us even to give beyond what we could afford. And Father, thank you that your grace includes the protection of this congregation from hypocrisy. And I just pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us to celebrate that as you continue to slowly build this church with people who are of one mind and one heart. All this grace, God, that we experience causes me this morning to swell up with praise. So as we worship today, God, make our worship true. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>